I wanted to start a new series this morning that is uh, very much tied to my personal struggles. And uh, I think to everybody I've talked to, everybody that's, that I minister with, my, my co-pastors and um, the elders here, I, I spent some time with... I spent some time with a couple of pastors the last few months, and we were kind of reflecting on what we're teaching on, and I started talking about some of this, and it just it got so ingrained in me that God begs us, literally begs us, to come to Him. There's dozens and dozens of ways He does that. Um, and then in the process, we run the opposite way. So at camp this year, I'm going to do a series called Run to Grace, I'm going to teach 10 lessons starting tonight at camp, and uh, you're going to get to hear the first one in just a minute after I send the campers away. So uh, camp is one of those very special places. 2002, the main camp speaker for Camp Eunice that I'd never ever heard of, none of you had ever heard of, a little tiny dot on a map in Roberta, Georgia. Um, Camp Eunice needed a speaker at the very last minute because their speaker had a heart attack for youth camp. And uh, friends of friends knew me and called me and asked me would I be willing to go fill in. I had to get uh, permission. For, I think it was 2001. I had to get permission from the board here. I was like, I can take a week off in a, with a two-week notice from the whole, from church. And so I got permission from the board to travel there. And it was on the Sunday. We had to leave on a Sunday that we, we used to have homecoming in the summertime. And uh, so it was on a weekend that was homecoming. So I had to stay and do homecoming and eat with everybody. And got there real late and uh, didn't get to speak the first night. Got up the next day and thought, well, I'll, I'll get up real early and walk around and see this campsite. It's got to be great, you know, horses and all kinds of cool stuff there. You know, I was thinking that, you know, big lake or pools and, you know, pavilions and all kinds of game rooms and stuff. Nope, <laughs> not there. It's, it's two, a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm, a dining hall with an extension off the side for the adult lodging and a chapel. And there's some outdoor ping pong tables. So, woohoo! here we go. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what have I got myself into? Um, but God really did move um, that first year there. And all these kids that come from these little bitty churches that show up out there, um, they're just, they're, God's using that place to bring uh, Christian leaders out. And uh, two years ago, three years ago, we had 45 students at camp kneel on a concrete floor in front of a cross, a wooden cross, and commit themselves to full-time service for God. 45 youth did that. Um, at our Thursday night uh, Bible time. So it's very fascinating to me to, to see how God works out there. Um, but I'll just tell you a personal note. It's very humbling. Um, I get a little bit overwhelmed. I've had several of my closest friends praying very hard for me this week um, because I, I know I could go mess that up. Um, I really could. <laughs> I could be the guy that goes, hey, Camp Eunice used to be really good, and Stan got here, and, you know, it's nothing now. There's, you know, it's like all flesh and no spirit and all that stuff. So I'm very anxious about that this year, um, about being in the right place with my heart and sensitive to the spirit as he leads to teach. Um, I'm a lot older than the kids I'm teaching, and uh, so, you know, I have to, have to ask God to do supernatural stuff there. So would you pray all week for me in that? And uh, I've been praying and, and fasting and asking the Lord to do it as well. And I need God's hand um, just to guide me through some of that. So I'm asking you to help me just as well with that. And um, tonight they'll hear the same message you're going to hear. Might have a little different humor in it, but it'll be there. But I want you to see a video that, that uh, my neighbor across the street, Pastor George Reich, Pastor at Orchard, um, uh, he, was here, he spoke here a while back. 
Um, but he showed this, he put this on his Facebook page, and when I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness. This is a, an encapsulation. This is the uh, engineering and scientific explanation of the Christian life. Um, it's all about bicycles. So uh, uh, this guy's from Alabama. So. Just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it. But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill, and I was really proud of it. Everything changed, though, when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses, and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle, and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Salmon. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain it's just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences, and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. So here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway, and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks. But after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike, and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. 
It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. My son is the closest person to me genetically, and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. That's over half his life. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you going to give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up. You got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he, in how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. All right, today's bike log. I can ride smooth, I can ride fast. I'm thinking the experiment is over. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday meetup, if you will, and I'm going to see if somebody brings a bicycle, and I'm going to try to ride a normal bike. <laughs> it's backwards. It's backwards. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I proved is that I could only redesignate that bias. So what you're not seeing is just a group of people here looking at me, looking at the strange American that can't ride a bike because they think I'm dumb. But I'm actually two levels deep into this because I've learned and unlearned. All right. After 20 minutes of making a fool out of myself, suddenly my brain clicked back into the old algorithm. I can't explain it, but it happened in a very specific moment. <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm back. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got it, I got it. Okay, there it is. Everyone's okay. moving? Okay, everybody. I tried to explain this to the people around me, and they just didn't get it. They thought I was faking the previous 20 minutes, and I couldn't get anybody to believe me. That looked like a fake bit, didn't it? Yeah. Just a fake. You think I'm fake? You don't believe me. This is fake. You think I'm lying, don't you? I'm not lying. I felt like the only person on the planet who had ever unlearned how to ride a bike, and I couldn't articulate it to anyone because everybody just knew that you can't forget how to ride a bike. So I learned three things from this experiment. I learned that welders are often smarter than engineers. I learned that knowledge does not equal understanding. And I learned that truth is truth, no matter what I think about it. So there be very careful. So here's the, it's real great spiritual application. You can take that video. It's all, it's, I'll put it, I'll make sure we get it online this week. Um, but it's a great understanding of our Christian life because God tells us to, what are we supposed to do for our enemies? Love them. The world tells us to, it's backwards. It's backwards. God tells us that instead of hoarding resources and money for ourselves, we should give them away. It's backwards from our culture, right? And so when you're walking with Christ and you're trying to get some sort of, you're trying to gain some spiritual ground, you literally have to unlearn what the neuropaths in your brain are saying is the right way to do it. And when somebody's yelling at you at the office that it's not your fault and that whole deal, and you want to yell back and make that whole deal happen... God says, mm, mm, 
love, mercy, kindness, grace. Speak the truth in love. Be gracious. And your brain has to unlearn all that. Um, and the Holy Spirit is our helper to do it. But what I'm going to just spend a few weeks proving to you, which is going to make you a little discouraged, um, is that our natural tendency is to ride backwards. Our natural tendency is to run the wrong way to the wrong thing. We're going to start in the book of Jonah. So if you want to turn there with me, Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Today we're just going to spend about 15 minutes looking at this passage. It's the time of great prosperity in Israel. Um, a lot of times the prophets of Israel... Um, when we when we find these prophets in Israel, uh, a lot of times they're they're speaking to Israel and they're calling Israel back from sin and they're trying to get Israel um, to return to God. But Israel at this time is doing fantastic. King David's got them on a roll and and uh, his lineage and heritage has a lot of prosperity in the nation. They're worshiping God at the temple. I mean, everything's going great. And so God's heart, as His people are growing and living in honor of Him, is to reach some lost people. Get that. Imagine that. God wants to reach lost people. There's a little town called Nineveh, a big town, called Nineveh. A very evil place. And God wants one of His children, Jonah, to go share God's warning with Nineveh. It's a Gentile world. It's not, not anything like Israel lots of bad stuff happens over there. They're very wicked. They, they murder and slaughter uh, people that claim to be Hebrews. <laughs> they murder and slaughter people that are speaking for Jehovah God. And so Jonah has a lot of reasons to be anxious about it. But in reality, God's asking him to do something. And I call this first few verses, the gift of serving is offered to Jonah. The gift of serving. And our first study is called, you know, you ever have your kids do this, la, 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 can't hear you, la, la, la. So, yeah, had somebody do that the other day to me. Um, but that, that's what this first passage is like, because verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, and preach, or cry. One translation says, cry, uh, preach against it, because the wicked, their wickedness has come up before me. And then this verse says, But Jonah went to the other way. He actually ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. And Tarshish is a uh, resort town. It's very much, it'd be like the Hawaii of today, uh, it's, or like some of the Caribbean islands. It's this great place to go on vacation, and uh, it's nothing to do with serving God at all. And interestingly enough, on the map, if you, if you looked at where Nineveh is and where Jonah is during the prophet, during this word coming to him, and you look at where uh, Tarshish is, he's running 180, it's about 170 degrees. He's almost going exactly opposite of where he's supposed to go, even on land. And uh, he went down to Joppa, found a ship bound for the port uh, in Tarshish, and paid the fare, went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. By the way, Jonah is a man of God. He's one of the prophets of God that God would call on in time of need to help him do his bidding. Much like Christians, God calls on us to do his bidding, to do his work in our community, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods. He calls on us to speak for him. And Jonah said, no, I do it. La, 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 can't hear you. Go the other way. And he literally runs from God. Um, now, the word that came to Jonah, we believe, was a literal spoken word. In other words, Jonah 
heard the voice of God clear, as you're hearing my voice, clear in his ears and in his head. He heard the actual words of God. And I just want you to see a couple of things here. There's three parts to God's message to him. We may break this down later, but it's just arise means get up, go somewhere. You got you to get out of your chair and get moving, Jonah. Arise, go, and then cry this message. Speak this warning to these people. It's really what he's saying. It's just a warning from God. And it was a verbal, spoken word that came to Jonah's ears uh, when that happened. Um, Today, we don't have verbal, spoken word of God. The audible voice of God, uh, maybe some of you think you've heard the voice of God. I've heard God speak to me in my head at times. Uh, but I don't think anybody around me could have heard that. This, we believe his was more audible. But today we have the scriptures as our word. And, uh, and the scriptures are how God speaks to us today. Um, God will use his scriptures and the concepts and principles of his scriptures as taught to move us in the direction he wants us to go. To call us to help somebody. To call us to do that. And Psalm 119 tells us we're to love the word of God. More than food, more than money, and more than sleep. Now, you can read through Psalm 119 and find every one of those. Um, you're supposed to love God's Scripture more than food. Food. <laughs> wow, really? More than sleep and more than money. It's more precious to you than even money. Tonight when we do this message, I'm going to sing, uh, Lord, you are more precious with our campers um, at the chapel. Um, more caught your the, the word of God and God Himself is to be more costly to us than diamonds and gold and all that. So, but we're told to love God's word more than all of that. Well, why is God's word so important to a Christian? I mean, once you're saved, you know, once you got the concept of salvation, you trust Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you, and you're forgiven of your sins by the grace of the cross. Once that happens. Um, you got this you know, ticket into heaven, so you're good. Why do we need the Word of God? Well, I want to just give you, a, there's hundreds of verses we could look at. All of Psalm 119 would be a good place to look. 150 verses there. But I'd love for you to look in Proverbs 3 with me. Proverbs 3, we're going to put it on the screen. Proverbs 3, 7 says, uh, these are just a few benefits that come from the Word of God. Right? It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. By the way, all of Proverbs is talking about turning to the Word of God and turning to the wisdom of God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Just a quick note before we change slides. Um, in that culture, filled barns, and full vats was very, very rare. Very rare. Just very few people had that. And here's God through, through Solomon's Proverbs saying to us, here's how God blesses his own. We went through that series, How to Be Blessed by God. You turn to God and you don't uh, shun him. Let's go ahead, Mary. So blessed are those who find wisdom. That's the word of God. Those who gain understanding, the word of God. For she is more profitable than silver. She yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. A long life is in her right hand, and her le- in her left are riches and honor. Pro- Solomon, in all his wisdom, is telling us through the inspired word of God. God, through Solomon, is telling us 
If you will just gather up the Word of God and cling to it and hold on to it, you'll have, here's the bullet point list. I think I put it in your notes for you. Health to your body. Uh, Your barns are, are overflowing, which means you'll always have enough. Think about that. If you'll just cling to the Word of God and let the Word of God dwell in you richly, Colossians says, your barns will always be full. You'll always have enough. That's what that means. Now, when we don't have enough, listen, when your checkbook doesn't have enough, when your pantry doesn't have enough, we get all panicky. And what do we think like? The world. We start getting worldly ideas of, man, I need, do I need to get a second job or a third job? I, maybe I need to sell this or I need, to, I need to go take out a loan for this. We start getting into the worldly concept of it all. And that's exactly the backwards bicycle moment where we're going, hey, i got to solve this myself. And God's going, don't run to yourself. Run to me. Run to the scriptures. Let the scriptures give you the wisdom to know what to do. And by the way, the scriptures are filled with information about finances. Just absolutely filled. We do the financial peace class. Um, Lisa's been doing that now. You're in the, I don't know, 10th or so, 8th or 10th week, somewhere in there. But you're going to do another one coming up in the early fall, maybe? We've got to do another one. I know she used to get tired of me saying, but we've got to do another one. I have several people that want to be in the next one. So, um, but, but the financial peace thing. So your barns, you'll always have enough. You'll have long life. Um, <laughs> the, the scriptures tell you how to have peace actually give you practical advice on how to live in a way that's peaceful with all those around you, uh, if at all possible. And then it offers life to others. We studied that real detail a few months ago in Psalm 1. If you want to be a person that actually can give life away uh, from out of the wellspring of richness of the wisdom of the Word of God in you, you can give life to other people if you'll let it be in you. Blessed is the man who walks not in that counsel of the godly, uh, stands in the path of the sinner but sits, or sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law will he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree full of life, planted by the rivers. And then the scriptures say you'll have prosperity in everything you do. There'll be this beautiful, wonderful prosperity. So the scriptures are saying all of this is available if you just turn to God's word. Listen to God's Word. Now, it's not just about listening. Remember the video? Because the knowledge doesn't give you the understanding and the application. The knowledge is just up here. So Jonah heard the Word of the Lord. It actually says the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he got it so much so that he didn't want to do it, so he went the opposite direction. So he heard it. Okay, He was into it. And and God's saying, just here's what you want to do. And I'll just look at this list and go, hey, sign me up. That's how I want my life to look. If you did my life with bullet points, you know, I'd like to have health for my body, overflowing barns. I'd just like to have a barn, by the way. Um, long life, paths of peace. I'd like to be able to offer life to other and prosperity in anything that God calls me to do. Wouldn't you like that to be your list? Sign me up. How does that happen? It's not hard. And I'm, I'm just, There's so, so, so much irony in this. Um, because I'm sitting here telling you to read and study the Word of God to have that. And so if you go home and apply yourself, you just got to go home and read the Word of God. But you know what I know about us? You know, there's lunch right after this. Then there's going to be there's a, there's a baby shower. So there's all this other stuff. And by this afternoon, you just can't wait to get to a nap or to a TV or to your Facebook page and all that. And all this will just be just way off in the distance. It'll be this little note that, hey, yeah, we had a good time at church. I sang this really cool song. And then we prayed for the kids and the pastor made them leave. And, 
Yeah, that was good. You know what I'm saying? It's interesting to me how bad we are at saying, yes, that's right. I'm just not going to get to it today. Nah, I probably won't have time today. Maybe tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, we go, ah, man, I've got to get up early get to work because I've got all that paperwork to do. I'll try to do that tomorrow night. You know, oh, I've got to cut the grass tomorrow night. You understand? We talk ourselves exactly like Jonah, completely out of just being good at getting into the Word and doing what we're supposed to do in the Word. Um, and you say, well, I wish I could just hear the Word, if God could speak to me audibly. Well, it's interesting, you know how you make that happen? It's actually very scriptural to make that happen. Proverbs tells you, again, in Proverbs uh, 3, no, Proverbs 6.20. I always think this is Proverbs 3. It's Proverbs 6.20. My son, keep your father's commandments, that's the scriptures. Do not forsake your mother's teachings, another reference to the scriptures by Solomon. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, I love this, they'll watch over you. But when you wake up, they will speak to you. Now, I'm, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands because there's some, there's some Christians here that have been growing in your faith a long time. You've been walking with the Lord. How many of you have actually heard the Scriptures speak to your brain, speak into your head? You've heard the Scriptures speak to you because they were part of you. And you just knew you had to do so, right? And interesting? God's Word's true. The Scriptures will speak to you, but the key is you've got to get them in you. You've got to bind them to your heart. You've got to do some memory work. You've got to do some studying. You've got to read over a verse enough times. You've got to read some concepts and write it down, journal it, however you do that to keep it connected to you so that God can actually speak to you. And He will speak to you when you wake up in the morning. He'll give you directions for the day if you'll bind the Scriptures to you. And Solomon understood that really, really clear. So we can, have, we can have God's Word speak to us. And I just want to give you the kind of the thumbnail of, jo- of Jonah here, the first part of Jonah. God gives clear instructions to His children, and you know what He expects us to do? Follow them. Just like God gives clear instructions, or you give clear instructions to your children, and you expect them to follow. I mean, you just want your children to do that, right? I, one of my, Francis Chan, a great speaker, um, was a pastor in California for a while now. He's got another ministry going. But uh, he had that great illustration, I've told you before, where he says, when, when my child is in the living room, me and I say, hey, honey, I want you to go up and clean your room. You know what I want her to do? It's real simple. Go upstairs, clean your room. Now, if she comes back downstairs and says, hey, Dad, uh, I've spent the last three hours thinking about what you said, that you want me to clean my room. That's really, really well worded. Thank you for wording it so clear to me, right? Because we're looking at scriptures that say we should use the scriptures and cling to and bind them to our hearts. And we're going, God, that's just so well worded. Good stuff. But Francis Chan doesn't want to be complimented in his sentence structure. He doesn't want her to go get... He says, I don't want my daughter to go get a bunch of friends and have them over to the house and say, hey, let's have a, let's have a study around my dad's wording. Let's just sit around in the, in the living room and get some chairs and we'll, we'll talk about... Here's what my dad said. These are the instructions my dad gave to me. He wants me to clean my room. Let's, let's diagram that sentence real quick and let's talk about what the Greek word for clean really means. Because my dad knows Greek, so he might have had that in mind. So let's diagram the Greek word for clean. And we'll get it all understood. Let's get it real, let's get solid on this, right? You know what we do? We sit around and Bible says going, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to read His Word. Yeah, it's a great verse, isn't it? I love that verse. He wants us to read His Word daily. He wants us to love the Word more than food and more than sleep. 
He wants us to get up in the early hours of the morning just so we be sure we have great quality time with him. Wow, that's so well worded. You know what he tells us that for? It's instructions for us to obey. The whole point, God gives clear instructions to his children, and he just expects you to follow them. And the whole book of Jonah, I believe this with all my heart, there's four chapters. We're going to cover three of them in this series. I'll leave one for your fun on your own. But God gives clear instructions. The whole book of Jonah is for God to say, hey, when I tell you to do something, I mean it, really. I need you to do it. I just want to help you. And I want to love you right through that deal. So he will pro- Jonah's got to process this, and of course he went the wrong way. Um, God has a specific plan for your life. He plans to bless you, not to harm you. Jeremiah says it's so clear. Um, God plans to bless you, not harm you. He plans to prosper you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have this as your life verse. When we put our life verses up on that board back there, some of you claim this one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God literally plans to prosper you. How? When you follow him, when you're obedient to him, when you humble yourself and you listen and you get under conviction about the sin of your life, you look at the stuff that's not right. Um, some of us live in, I've been studying this book on uh, the, the, um, the wonder of our, what our soul really is. I've been trying to understand mind, body, spirit, and soul. Because God delineates those four. I've got these great studies I'm doing on it. We'll get, we'll get a series out of it. I'm sure by the end of the summer, maybe we'll go into it. And it's just strong. But how important your soul is. If The most important thing you have in your life is your soul, by the way. And it's the one thing you really can't deal with very well. Um, I've been doing a lot of great studying it. But, but the ultimate point is, God longs to bless your soul and your heart and your mind and your body if... You're surrendering to him and following him. When you don't, he has to call you back from that, which he'll do with Jonah by using a great big fish somewhere in the story here. So if you don't spend time with God's word, you can't know God's will and his plan for your life. It's just that simple. You can't know God's will. I've had so many people over the years, um, all that years I did college ministry, 250, 200 college kids at a time in Birmingham, and uh, I'd have them come to my office go, I'm just trying to find God's will for my life, man. I just need, I just need to talk to you. I need God's will for my life. You know, I'm studying this in school. I just need God's will in my life. I'm like, well, are you reading the scriptures? No, why would I do that? Because the scriptures are filled with verses that say, this is God's will for your life. Yeah, but man, there's nothing in the Bible about engineering or nothing in there about, you know, carpentry or home building. Or there's nothing in there about mechanics or nothing in there about computers or anything. I'm like, no kidding. But if you'll get the 90, if you'll start applying all that God has as his will for you in the scriptures, get the scripture, his plan for your life in your life, the rest of that gets crystal clear. God will illuminate that last 5% to you so fast when you're obedient to those scriptures and when you're receiving and growing in the Word. If you don't spend time with His Word, you can't know His will. Um, and then just la- it's unwise. It's very unwise and unhealthy. Um, I just wrote this in my notes with a bunch of O's. It's downright stupid. <laughs> S-T-O-O-O-P-I-D. It's downright stupid to ignore God's instructions. Now, let me just test this for a minute. So I'm going to camp so I can be goofy for a minute. <clears throat> How many of you would say it's completely stupid to ignore God's Word? Raise your hand. How many of you, by, by a show of hands, how many of you know you've done it yourself? Aren't we just stupid? You know, we're just a room full of stupid people. That's good. At least we can admit it, right? Uh, that's the first, first, first part of being healthy is just to admit 
how stupid we are. But sin makes us that way. Sin literally makes us stupid. And uh, one of the worst things we can do is listen to ourselves, try to help ourselves through a time of failure or sin. When we mess up, you don't need your help. You're the problem. You need to turn and run to God. At His throne, there is not judgment and condemnation. It's a throne of what? Grace. Man, how do we miss that so easy? And why do we continually have to be explained to that over and over and over? So I want us to get in a habit, not of running the wrong way, but of running the right way. Um, Jonah heard the word of the Lord and he went the wrong way. Truth is, we find it easier to run from God than to run to Him. And then um, we tend to run the opposite direction completely. Totally ignore God's instructions. Amen? Sad, but it's true. Now, part of what I'm enjoying in our church life, because I believe life change happens in small groups. That's a scriptural principle. That's why God, Christ himself, pulled 12 guys around him and a, young, a group of ladies around him and discipled the guys and the girls. And then he also had uh, an inner three that he worked with very hard because um, Christ knew that the impact of small group was very important. Um, and I'm, I'm watching some of you deal with your struggles in the small groups and grow, spiritually grow because you're in a, a group setting where you can talk and you can hear each other out and you can acknowledge all that. So um, those places help us find it easier to help with God. But truth is we find it easier to run from God than to run to Him. And then the truth is there's a little bit of Jonah in every one of us and we need to purge that Jonah part out um, because Jonah goes through a horrible chapter 2. <laughs> the end of chapter 1, we're going to get to uh, next week, and chapter 2, it's a horrible time for him, okay? It's a horrible few days um, where God's saying, hey, I really meant what I said. Go to Nineveh. Let's go. Come on. That's where your prosperity is, Jonah. That's where your blessings are. That's where grace abounds is in Nineveh with all those unsaved people that need to hear my warning, right? I'll give you a quick close. Um, just so you have a little Jonah identification God asks us all through the scriptures, and I say this so often, I know you're tired of hearing it. God asks us to speak the gospel on his behalf for him in our community, with your neighbors, with your friends. You're supposed to creatively, carefully think out ways to tell your uh, co-workers, your family members, your waitress, your neighbor, the gospel, the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. We can't save ourselves all of us are sinners, and Jesus died to pay for our sins. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Just not that easy, is it? I'm watching you all sit like, you know, I'm panicking now. He's talking very personal. But it's true. It's just so hard to get that done. That's what God's asking Jonah to do. We, we tend to love to pick on Jonah and go, man, what a jerk, what an idiot. God says to every one of us, please tell your neighbor, that Gentile crazy guy that lives next door to you, or your weird uncle that's just crazy, please tell him the gospel. You go, mm, not me. Somebody else in the family is going to do that. we got a preacher in the family. He'll do that. That's what we'll do. We'll let him do it. You know, We'll find some other way to do that. But we're very much like Jonah, and we need to repent of that. So let's bow our heads together. Appreciate you listening well today. Good to have you here.